starting today, we're going to begin. Um, I don't know how long it's going to go. <laughs> Sermon series on the Holy Spirit. Why are we doing a sermon season on the Holy Spirit? Let me give you guys um, paragraphs or sentences of emails that I've gotten. This is my job as a pastor. And I decided to actually put them up here. Just snippets. Um, Here's one. Don't worry, your name's not going to be attached to that. I'm so anxious about my future. I'm about to graduate soon, but I have no idea what God wants me to do. How do I know which career path to choose? Does God care about that? And if he does care, why does it seem so hard to discern his will? Why isn't it easier? Here's another one. Uh, She's someone that I can see myself with for the rest of my life, but I have doubts. How do I know she's the one? Is that how God works? Is there just one person out there for me and I have to find her? Please help me. I've been struggling with porn addiction for years. I go from seasons of victory to seasons of utter despair. Sometimes I feel like I'll never overcome this addiction. Do I just need more faith? My marriage is in shambles. The sense of betrayal I feel is so strong that to say that I hate him would be an understatement. I can't ever see myself forgiving him for what he's done regardless of what God says. How do I become a better witness in my work? It's such an intimidating environment, and my boss would make my life miserable if he thought that I was too public with my faith. Is it enough just to let my life be a witness? And why do I feel like that's just a cop-out? I know, none of y'all can relate to any of this stuff, right? Yeah, I know. I've been a Christian all my life, and yet God feels so distant to me, like he's just a category. I miss feeling his presence in my life, but I don't even know where to begin. It's been months since I opened my Bible and I actually prayed. What do I do when I don't desire God? Hearing about the gospel has changed my life in new community, but there are times when I feel like it's just head knowledge. How does it become real? How does it become a transforming power in my life? see so much brokenness in our world today, but I feel paralyzed by the enormity of it all. I feel like I need to do something, but I don't even know where to begin. It's like I'm defeated even before I begin. How do I engage the brokenness in our world without becoming cynical? I'm struggling with an eating disorder. No one knows because I feel so ashamed of others knowing about it. Where do I even turn for help? I work in hospice care. I see death around me every day. I feel totally burned out. I don't even know if I can go another day. I feel like giving up, but I feel called to stay. Where do I get the strength to continue? I am a teacher in Chicago public school system. (laughs) Enough said. I'm glad you found that funny, because when I get it, it's not as funny, you know? I want to know God, like really know God, but I have so many doubts. Is it okay to doubt? I want God to be so real in my life, where can I sense, where I can sense him and hear his voice. Is that even possible? Does he speak to me? Is the message of the Bible to all of those folks, try harder? Is the message of the Bible to all those folks, just be more disciplined? Is the message of the Bible to all those folks, you have yet learned to strap yourself or strap your bootstraps and, 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 and do it? Is, is that the message of the Bible? Why am I preaching on this sermon series? And by the way, I could preach on this every year and spend like five months on it, and I don't know if we'll fully get it. Because the reality is for many of us that grew up in church, we grew up with what I call half the gospel. And the half the gospel looks something like this. Half the gospel says Jesus Christ came and died on the cross for your sins. He paid an enormous 
a price for you to be forgiven to secure eternity with God. So now he's done his part. Go do yours. And man, as a preacher, that preaches well. God did his part. Do your part. That's a sermon title and a sermon message in and of itself. But we soon realize, let's be honest, that there is a major chasm between what we ought to do and what we actually do. Can anybody relate? You realize pretty soon that you're not very good at overcoming sin. You realize very soon you're not very good at overcoming temptation. You're not very good at loving other people, forgiving those who've hurt you. You're not very generous. Your heart is cynical and hard. And of course, and I need to remind us all this, if you buy into the message of our culture that's kind of seeped into the church, you embrace what you find in major bookstores. Apparently, when you go to the self-help section of major bookstores, we have a lot of problems and we have lots of issues. Because very bright people say the solution is self-help. And I've said this before and I'll say it again. A major problem for me when it comes to self-help is that myself is not very good at helping myself. Anybody relate? Because when the self wants to do what the self wants to do, the self normally has a hard time stopping the self from what the self wants to do. And any time the self gets the self into the hot mess the self got into, the self rarely cries out. Is there anybody out there? Self, help. Nobody. Nobody. And yet we've embraced and bought into this. And you don't think so. But think about where you are today. Because for some of us, this is where we are. We just try harder. Can't overcome that. I'm not disciplined enough. I got to pray more. And there's nothing wrong with prayer. We'll talk about prayer. I got to read the Bible more. Nothing wrong with reading the Bible more. All of us actually should read the Bible more. But we just decide, if I just try hard enough, if I just grit my teeth and try uh, And then what happens? We realize that trying harder doesn't necessarily work either. That's why for some of us, we're just sitting here without anybody prompting. You just feel condemned. You just feel sort of condemned. That's why you haven't been to church in a while. Every time you come, you just sort of feel condemned because there's this deep sense of, I'm not very good at this thing. Why am I here? Why am I doing this? For some of us, after we try harder, here's what happens. We just give up. We just sometimes go, you know what? I tried my best. And I just can't do it anymore. If the Christian life was about us doing our best, (laughs) don't you think God knows when we've done our best? He knows everything. So if the end goal of the Christian life is we do our best, what's the whole point of God sending the Holy Spirit if what he was looking for was our best? But some of us, you're you're sitting there going, I've done my best and I just can't. And the Bible says when God sent this Holy Spirit, he was making clear, I'm looking for more than just your best. Character and life transformation that goes beyond just your best. If you're sitting and going, I don't, wanna, I don't know if I can do this anymore. Christianity doesn't work for me. Maybe Christianity is not the problem. Maybe you're not the problem. Maybe the problem is you're trying to do this on your own strength apart from the Holy Spirit. For some of us, we just... Uh, Put on a thin veneer of religiosity and just pretend. There's some of us here today. God is good all the time. All the time. God is good. And you're dropping F-bombs all over your head. Inside you're like. And then for some of us, um, we just finally lower the bar. What do I mean? We just go, I can't do that. So I'm just going to. Just lower the standard. I I can't meet the standards. I'm just going to lower the standard. And when anybody, anybody, any Christian tries to confront and maybe lovingly keep you accountable, we just get really defensive and go, don't judge me. You don't know me. And you can't deny, though, that the Holy Spirit inside of you is speaking to you and saying, you know you are not where you need. See, here's the uh, full picture of the gospel. And again, for some of you that have been around, you're like, I, don't, I know he's preached on this before. 
the full gospel says at the heart of the gospel is that when Christ died on the cross, he ultimately died in our place and bore in himself the consequences of our sins and paid the penalty of our sins. And when Jesus rose from the dead, as we talked about Easter, there was an exclamation mark from God the Father saying, my son's death on the cross is the final payment for your sins. That's why in Romans 8, 1, therefore there's now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Is that good news? Your sins can't condemn you because it was condemned in Christ. That's amazing news. But that's just one half. Here's the other half. You ready? The other half is not only did he die, pay the penalty for my sins, but he now rose again from the dead and in the person of the Holy Spirit lives inside of me to help me overcome the power of sin. I say that again. He not only died and rose again to pay the penalty of my sins, but he now lives inside of me to help me overcome the power of sin. And this is the central foundation which we will come around for the next few weeks. And that is that the Christian life is only possible when the Holy Spirit who lives in us lives through us this Christian life for us. The Christian life is only possible when the Holy Spirit who lives in us lives through us this Christian life for us. The power of the resurrection is not that he just won, but the power of the resurrection is that he now lives inside of us to help us overcome the power of sin. And this teaching is all over the Bible. And we just pass right by it. I'll give you some examples. Philippians 2.12. Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. And many of us stop there. Work out your own salvation. Read the, read the rest of it. For it is God at work in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. So apparently, your willingness to do something is from who? Philippians 4.13. I can do all things. Good for you. Read the rest of it. Through him who gives me strength. Ephesians 6.10. Be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Colossians 1.28. He is the one we proclaim, admonishing and teaching everyone with all wisdom so that we may present everyone fully mature in Christ. To this end, I strenuously contend with all the energy that Christ so powerfully works in me. 1 Peter 2, 3, his divine power has given us everything we need for life and godliness through our knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness so that through them you may participate in the divine nature and escape the corruption in the world caused by evil desires. Let me ask you a question. Can you live the Christian life? Answer? <laughs> that was a trick question. That's where we're going. John 15, 5, I am the vine and you are the branches. If a man remains in me and I in him, he will bear much fruit. Read the rest of this with me. Ready? Apart from me, you can do nothing. And I studied that word nothing in Greek. And guess what it means? Nothing. <laughs> it means nothing. Do you know how serious Jesus was about this when he said this? To the same group of people that he had given the task to reach the world for the gospel. He gathers the people. He says, I have given you and trusted you the gospel. And there are millions of hurting, broken people who need to hear it. And the disciples are like, we're ready. He says, wait. Don't lift a finger. But they're hurting. They're lost. I need to. Don't move until you receive power from on high. Think about that. But there are millions. Don't move until you receive. Why, Jesus? Because you will accomplish more with my spirit 
than you will in 10,000 lifetimes of doing it on your own strength. So don't move until my spirit comes. Can I ask you a question? As you pursue God's mission in your life, do you live with that sense of dependence on the Holy Spirit? As you get up tomorrow and go to work, do you live with this conscious dependence of saying, I can't do this without you. And what you can do through me versus what I can do in my own strength, wisdom, and ingenuity, Do you genuinely and truly believe that you can do nothing without him? As a parent, as a spouse, as an employee, as a witness? Do you truly believe that the only way that you can live victoriously over sin in your life is not more self-discipline but spirit-dependent? One of the chapters I'm hoping we can study is Romans 8. Paul's great chapter on living the victorious Christian life. He refers in chapter 8, one chapter to the Holy Spirit, 22 times. Give you a perspective. The rest of Romans, 15 other chapters, Holy Spirit is mentioned 10. Do you think Paul was serious when he said, you want to live the victorious Christian life? You want to overcome that addiction? You want to overcome that? You want to, you want to be able to love that person? He says, you can't do it without the Holy Spirit. But with him, you're more than conquerors. Yes, I'm talking to you who's sitting there going, Holy Spirit, huh? I remember the last time I consciously acknowledged I need you. Can I go on a soapbox for like 30 seconds? You will never in this church see me do this. Now, for those of y'all that want to rededicate your life to Jesus, come on up. You know, preachers love that. Every retreats are like, how many of y'all want to rededicate? Do you know why we don't do rededication? Because rededication is you telling God how much you are going to do better next time. And until you get this dynamic, the rededication, you could do it a million times. As long as you're going, I will try to do better, you will not be able to what God wants you to do. Half of you that work with you, you're fiercely writing down notes right now. I know. Please stop doing the rededication ministry until you go. Here's what rededication means. Today, you stop doing it on your strength, and you rededicate to doing it in his. One other piece. Uh, he sounds like you're talking about just let go and let God. Trust me, I am not. Trust me. This is rigorous, takes intentionality. It will take everything that you have. This has nothing to do with let go and let God. This has everything to do with, listen, a completely different approach to how you live your Christian life. Matter of fact, the people that are most, listen please, spirit dependent and spirit aware are the people who are the best at spiritual disciplines. Talk to people whose prayer lives are the deepest. You will not find somebody who says, I'm going to grit my teeth and do it. You will find somebody who is consciously aware of the Holy Spirit. Talk to somebody who can't get enough of the Bible, of Scripture, of the Word. You will not find somebody who is just more disciplined than you. You will find somebody who lives with conscious awareness of the Holy Spirit. Your spiritual disciplines and the ability to do this on your own, even that is spirit dependent. If you're somebody who is sitting here and you've been ready to throw in the towel. And you reach the end of yourself and you're tired of the struggling. You're tired of the lowering the bar. You're tired of the constant cycle of repentance. I'll do better. You're frankly, your heart is hardened. You're cynical. 
You could read any of that email and go, that's me, that's me. If you're sitting there and you're going, I've reached the end of myself, I have great news. You ready? God has you exactly where he wants you. Because you need to come to that place of going, I don't think I can do this anymore. For God to go, maybe you're ready now and open to allowing me to do this in you. Church, is this making any sense to you? Y'all really quiet. Is that because you're being convicted? Okay, I'll take that as a yes. The Christian life, as God intended, requires. Everybody say require. Requires outside intervention. The Bible never says, Jesus died for you. Here's the Bible. It's big. It's fat. There's lots of things to do. Good luck. (laughs) Let's go to the words of Jesus, shall we? Words of Jesus. Today's the introductory sermon. And CC, I struggle with introductory sermons. You know why? Because I have like a bazillion things I want to (laughs) say. And I need to squeeze it in. But I also need to say just enough so that you guys know where we're going. And that's really hard for me because I tend to be verbose. Anyway. Second thing, there's lots of scripture passages today. Lots of, you ready to take notes? Lots of Bible passages because I want to lay a good foundation. Let's go to John 16, 7 where Jesus is about to basically uh, 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 tell his disciples <laughs> something that they weren't expecting. These are the words of Jesus. We're going to go straight to the, the, the source himself. John 67, Jesus said, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. Now think about for a moment. Don't just gloss over. Think about for a moment what that meant. How absurd that idea must have been to his disciples. They've walked with him. They've talked with him. They've eaten with him. They've seen him walk on water for crying out loud. They've seen him all these things. And he says to them, it's better that I go away. You shouldn't feel sad of my departure because it's to your advantage that I go away. Jesus is telling them that the Holy Spirit in them would be better than having Jesus beside them. Jesus is actually telling his disciples it's going to be better that the Holy Spirit is in you rather than having me beside you. He says, for if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. Question, if you had the choice between having an unseen spirit live inside of you versus having a physical present Jesus beside you, which would you choose? Be honest, which would you choose? <sighs> I would prefer Jesus beside me. That's because you don't pay attention to what Scripture says. (laughs) He is actually saying to you and me, if you think that it's better to have me beside you versus me, uh, have me beside you versus the Holy Spirit inside you, then you don't understand why I need to go away. Question, is your experience with the Holy Spirit like that? Is your experience with the Holy Spirit, your connection to the Holy Spirit, so strong and so real that you actually this morning could say, Peter, I regard his presence in me to be better than his presence beside me. Can you actually honestly say, Jesus is absolutely right. His spirit in me is much more preferable than having him beside me. Let's raise the stakes a little bit. Here's a question. Does your experience with the Holy Spirit validate Jesus' promise that it is better that the Spirit be inside you than Him beside you? Does your experience with the Holy Spirit, as you think about your connection, your relationship with the Holy Spirit, can you actually go, Peter, he's absolutely right. My connection, my relationship with the Holy Spirit, so strong. And the way he works in me, he wouldn't kid him when he said it would be better than him beside me. I know him like that. I experience him like that. 
John 14, I'll ask the Father, and he'll give you another helper to be with you forever. Even the spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. But you know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. So I'm going to cover three really broad foundational themes, and then we'll come back and again and again. First is this, the Holy Spirit is God. Holy Spirit is God. Two key verses. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you at the ascension. Jesus does not become an absentee God. He as God simply comes to disciples as a different person. Verse 16. I'll ask the Father and he'll give you another. There are two Greek words for another. One is hetero, which literally means just uh, a hetero, which means opposite or different from the other. The other Greek word found here is the Greek word alas, which means just like the former. Jesus literally sending, saying, I am sending you someone just like me. It will enter the dizzying doctrine of the Trinity. There is one true God who eternally exists as three distinct persons. Not three different gods. He's still one for that. But each person is distinct from the other two. And in experiencing that one God, you actually experience the other two in one. And if you feel like your head just exploded, that's okay. We're moving on. The point is, Jesus says, he is so one with the Holy Spirit that when Jesus, when the Holy Spirit comes into your life, who comes into your life? Who comes into your life? Jesus says, I am so one with the Holy Spirit that he could tell his followers, if you have seen me, you have seen the Father. And get this, Jesus is actually saying, I'm so one with the Holy Spirit that when you hear from me, you're actually hearing from who? Jesus. You need to listen. When you hear from the Holy Spirit, you're actually hearing from Jesus. I'll say it again. When you hear from the Holy Spirit, Jesus, I'm so one with him, you're actually hearing from me. And when you forget about the Holy Spirit, you're forgetting about God. Second big foundation. Again, I'm just laying some foundation. The Holy Spirit is person or personal. Let's get this right off the bat. Don't call him an it. Don't refer to him as a force. Don't say he's a thing. He's a what? He's a person. He's a he. And as a person, he thinks, he acts, he feels, he speaks, he relates, he moves as a person. And this is huge because it means that you and I could have a personal relationship with the Holy Spirit. Is that good news? That's been God's intention from the very get-go. God says, I want a personal relationship with you. So that begs the question, do you feel like God is more a, a, a category, a doctrine than a person that you know? Is God somebody that you know more about this morning than someone you know intimately? Is Christianity a set of teaching that you adhere to? Is Christianity some lifestyle that you conform to? Or is Christianity a dynamic, moving, living relationship with a person who is intimate with you? Jesus said, follow me. Not just obey my teaching. Follow me. The essence of the Christian life is not just to follow a set of teaching, but to follow him. And that requires a real personal interaction, intimacy, like any other relationship. We, you, are a church that loves to learn. You love learning new insights. We may know more about the Holy Spirit than the early disciples in Acts. But let me ask you something. Do you have their courage? Do you have their love? Do you have their boldness? Do you have their radical generosity? I have been praying. I have been praying that this sermon series will not just be about you learning something new, but that you would learn how to lean on the Holy Spirit. 
that you will learn what it means to seek him like your life depended on it. And that you would learn what it means when he says, I want to know you and I want you to know me. That you and I would become so personally intimate with the Holy Spirit because he is real to us. Let me just say real quick, in case you're sitting there going, um, is he that kind of charismatic, Pentecostal, Holy Spirit? Let me tell you something. One, when I eat my Cheerios in the morning, God doesn't speak through it. I've never seen a Virgin Mary in a grilled cheese sandwich. And God, the Holy Spirit, doesn't tell me when to go change my oil. I look at that little sticker on the window that says, 62,000 miles, you need to go change oil. God doesn't speak in these normal mystery. But I can tell you, beyond a shadow of a doubt, that I have felt his presence in my life. And that was as real to me as if Jesus was right here. And that's what God desires for you. That's what God desires for me. He would move from head knowledge, doctrine, belief. That he would move from I know a lot about him into I know him intimately. I sense his presence intimately. He is real to me. That's God's desire for you. And that's what the Spirit wants. He continues, but the Helper, 1426, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. But when the Helper comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth who proceeds from the Father, he will bear witness about me. So when the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all the truth, for he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will declare to you the things that are to come. He will glorify me, for he will take what is mine and declare it to you. Did you hear what the Holy Spirit does in the words of Jesus? We're going to get to, in this sermon series, how the Holy Spirit speaks to us powerfully to give us direction and guidance. We're going to talk about, in the sermon series, how the Holy Spirit empowers us for mission, empowers us for godliness, holiness, overcoming sin, how the Holy Spirit empowers us with spiritual gifts to impact the body. But you need to know, before we get to any of that, the foundational thing that the Holy Spirit does and is about. Because if we miss this, we miss everything. Did you catch it? I'm going to say one more. His words. He'll teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. He'll bear witness about me. He'll glorify me, for he'll take what is mine and he'll declare it to you. What does the Holy Spirit do? He comes and goes. Isn't Jesus and goes, isn't the gospel amazing? Comes and goes, look at what he's done. Look at him. Look at that. Isn't he awesome? That's That's what the Holy Spirit Holy Spirit is all about Jesus and the glorious gospel. The Holy Spirit points to Jesus' words and works, not his own, and he works to make Jesus and the gospel real, tangible, operational in your life. Is that good news? If you sit there going, yeah, but I need guidance, you're missing the point but I need help. You're missing the point. You need to get this because when we get to that, you'll be like, oh, that's amazing. 
Stop being so self-centered for crying out loud. Be more like the Holy Spirit. You see what he does? He comes and says to you, isn't Jesus amazing? Isn't he glorious? Look at the gospel. In fact, there's certain irony in how the Holy Spirit operates. Because when the Holy Spirit is really present, you're not thinking about the Holy Spirit. You're thinking about Jesus. You ever been to Washington Monument? Four years ago, I got a chance to go to D.C. At night, I just walked around by myself. I saw the Washington Monument. That sucker is something else. Especially at night, when there are hundreds of thousands of dollars worth of lights shining on that pointy thing. But here's the thing. As I was marveling at it, I'm not sitting there going, that's a lot of money on them lights. You don't notice the light. What do you notice? You notice the Washington Monument. And that's what the Holy Spirit does. He comes and illuminates Jesus and says, isn't that beautiful? Isn't that glorious? Isn't that amazing? When the Holy Spirit is present, listen to me. You don't get all, woohoo! When the Holy I don't know what that was. When the Holy Spirit is present, the gospel and Jesus become brighter and larger and brighter and larger and brighter and larger. If you're sitting there going, Jesus isn't like that to me. Gospel, meh. Where the gospel is not cherished, there is no experience of the Holy Spirit. Let me say it again. Where the gospel of Christ is not cherished, there is no experience of the Holy Spirit. Flip side, where the Spirit is not sought, there will be no deep experiential knowledge of his love for you. Holy Spirit. I don't know about you, man, but I just find this amazing. That he directs your attention to something else. His purpose is to illuminate the gospel and bring glory to Jesus. J.I. Packer, one of my favorite authors, said, The Holy Spirit's ministry is like a floodlight ministry, quietly turning everyone's attention from himself to Jesus. This means that when somebody comes and they claim to be filled with Jesus and filled with the Holy Spirit, and all they could talk about is their experiences, they have not been filled with the Holy Spirit. When somebody who's filled with the Holy Spirit speaks to you, you don't even see them. You don't even see the Holy Spirit. You see Jesus. You see Jesus. So the question, the implications, and please, church, get this. I feel like I'm shouting at the top of my lungs. And you know whenever I shout, what am I doing? I'm preaching to myself. You know this. The question of, then how do you get the fullness of the Spirit? How do you experience and encounter the presence of the living God? The answer is simple, profound, yet difficult. The way you get filled with the Spirit, the way you encounter the living presence of God, is through the glorious and mysterious and wonderful and amazing thing called the gospel and Jesus' love for you. You'll experience the fullness of the Spirit as the gospel comes alive in your heart. Where the gospel is not cherished, the Spirit will not be experienced. And where the Spirit is not sought, there will be no deep experiential knowledge of the gospel. The two go hand in hand. And you sit there going, where are you pulling this off from? All over the Bible. All over the Bible. I just show you. Quick examples. One, one, the Holy Spirit's descent upon Jesus at his baptism, which Michael talked about last week, gives us a pattern for how you and I are to seek the fullness of the Spirit. The way you seek the fullness of the Spirit is not going, fill me, fill me, fill me, fill me. I need you. That's not how you fill with the Spirit. Look at the Bible. Look at the Bible. See how you got full with the Spirit. The fullness of the Holy Spirit came simultaneously with the declaration of God's full pleasure in Jesus. God the Father speaks from heaven. You are my son in whom I am well pleased. Declaration at the same time, the Holy Spirit descended like a dove. You are my son in whom I'm well pleased. The Holy Spirit descended like a dove. 
in the gospel, the declaration that God gave to Jesus, that what he gave to Jesus that day in the Jordan River becomes ours. This is the gospel, right? In Christ, God looks at us and says, you are my beloved son. You are my beloved daughter. And because of Christ in you, I am well pleased. Because of Christ in you, I am well pleased. And the Bible says, as we believe that, as we embrace that, as we go deeper into this truth, that because of Christ, I am a son. I am a daughter of God. The Holy Spirit comes flooding into our hearts and fills us. As we embrace, as we go deeper into, I am his son, I am his daughter. Look at what he has done. The Holy Spirit, the Bible says, comes flooding into our hearts and fills us. Fullness of the Spirit. Declaration of God. Let me show an Old Testament example. Mount Sinai. Moses says, God, I want to see you. Show me your glory. So God hides Moses in the cleft of a rock, covers him with his hand, and God passes in front of him. Can you imagine being more in the presence of God than that? Can you imagine being more in the presence of God than that? God, shielding your eyes with his hand. Look at what happens, though. Look at what happens, how Moses describes the situation. Exodus 34, 5. Then the Lord came down in a cloud and stood there with him, and he called out his own name, Yahweh. The Lord passed in front of Moses, calling out, Yahweh, the Lord, the God of compassion and mercy. I'm slow to anger and filled with unfailing love and faithfulness. I lavish unfailing love to a thousand generations. I forgive iniquity, rebellion, and sin, but I do not excuse the guilty. As God passes in front of Moses, what does God do? Electric charge? force God declares his name and God recites his saving acts and what he has done Moses has always known God's name he's a good Jew but in that moment he felt it in that moment he became aware of it and the Bible says his face glowed for days as a result. Paul picks up on this. He picks up on this. And he refers back to this in 2 Corinthians 3. He says, and we all with unveiled face. Beholding the glory of the Lord. Are being transformed into the same image. From one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord. Who is the Spirit. What does the Holy Spirit do? He says, he does what God did with Moses. Holy Spirit comes and he declares God's name to your hearts. He declares God's name and his saving acts to your hearts of what he has done. And Paul says, as you and I behold that in the face of Christ, God's presence comes flooding into our lives, setting our souls aflame. And just as Moses' face glowed for days, he says, when you encounter that, our souls radiate with joy and love. Our soul One more example. Ephesians 3, verse 14. And we're going to come back to this passage a couple times in the next few weeks. For this reason I bow my knees. By the way, Ephesians 3, you need to know. So Ephesians 1 to 3, Paul has laid out doctrine, 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 doctrine. Who Christ is, what he has done. Who Christ is, what he has done. He, and then he just stops. He goes, okay, here's what I need to do. I kneel before the Father. That according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being. So that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. That you being rooted and grounded in love may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth. And to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge that you, read the rest with me, ready? May be filled with all the fullness of God. What is that? That's the Holy Spirit. How do you get filled with all the fullness of God? How do you get filled with all the fullness of God? And Paul comes to this again and again. He experiences, we experience that fullness of the fullness of God as we come to know, as we come to see how wide, how high, how long, how high and deep is the love of Christ for us. Paul is relentless in all of his letters. As he writes about the Holy Spirit saying, those two things, knowledge of Christ's love in the gospel and the fullness of the Spirit will go hand 
in hand. Frankly, Paul says the love of God in the gospel and being filled with all the fullness of God are almost synonymous. That is the fullness of the Spirit comes. The fullness of the Spirit comes. Are you listening to me? The fullness of the Spirit, the fullness of the Spirit that empowers us to overcome sin, that empowers us to be on mission, that empowers us to live an extraordinary life. That fullness of the Spirit comes as you and I plumb the depth, the width, the height of the love of Christ in the gospel. That fullness of the Spirit comes as we plumb the depths of Christ's love in the gospel. And the more he comes into us, the more we know of his love for us. And the more we know of his love, the more of his fullness grows within. So this moment as we go on, you have to, you have to get this. This supernatural working of the Holy Spirit and his desire to empower us to live this extraordinary life does not come apart from a constant, daily, intentional, systematic, relentless renewal of our hearts as we plumb the depth of his love for us. And as we do, his Fullness fills us. And as fullness fills us, this becomes more real. Imagine a father walking along with his young son, road, and all of a sudden he picks him up and he twirls him and he says, You know how much I love you. I will never leave you. I am so proud of you, son. Is that son in that moment any more that father's son than he was before? Legally, no. But in that moment, the knowledge of his father's love goes from doctrine and belief to a real tangible embrace of the heavenly father. Can I ask you something? As you think about the amazing, extraordinary powerful wonders of the gospel and Christ's love for you? When's the last time you experienced that love washing over you? When's the last time, and you love this imagery, it felt like you were standing at the bottom of the Niagara Falls. And imagine that river, that raging, surging river being God's love, pouring over you again and again and again and again. When's the last time that as you dove deeper into his mysterious, wonderful, glorious gospel, that that love of Christ became real to you and it became more than just a belief doctrine, but an embrace? Do you want that? I want that. I so desperately want that. I so desperately want that for our generation of Christians that are mission-driven, burned out, lacking joy. I so want the dynamic presence of God to come flooding into our hearts and lives. Amen, church? And that doesn't happen because we somehow ask for more. But let's get this one thing clear because I'm almost on here. Let's get this one thing clear. We don't need to ask for the Holy Spirit. He's already in us. We don't need to wait for something to come on high. The Holy Spirit is waiting for you. We have everything that we need. We have everything that we need, the Bible says. Living already inside of us. The question is, are you appropriating it? Are you appropriating it? Are you acknowledging, aware of, digging into, is this real to you? If you're not a Christian here, if you're not a Christian here, the gospel is an invitation to a relationship. Your relationship begins by faith and the finished work. The gospel, listen, that the Holy Spirit illuminates. The thing that I've been talking about is this beautiful announcement, this news that Christ did for us what we could never do. He lived the life we should have lived and died the death we should have died. And when he died for our sins and rose again, he paid the full debt that we owed. 
And the Bible says when we repent and believe and receive that as a gift, the Spirit comes into us and we get baptized into the body of Christ. That's the gospel. If you are a Christian, I've been saying this for 12 years. The gospel is not just the ABC's entry right into Christianity, but it's what empowers us for all of our lives. That includes the fullness of the Spirit. You do not, you do not experience the fullness of the Spirit apart from the gospel by granting it to something else. You experience the fullness of the Spirit as you go deeper into the gospel. As you go deeper into the gospel. You experience the fullness of the Spirit as the depth of the gospel becomes real to you. One always leads to the other. I'm going to say this one last time. Where the gospel is not cherished, where the gospel is not cherished, where the gospel is not the foundational engine motivation of our lives in all that we do, where the gospel is not the thing that consumes us, the Spirit will not be experienced. And where the Spirit is not sought, and this particularly for those of you who believe that the Holy Trinity is God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Bible, where the Spirit is not sought in your daily life, it doesn't matter how much head knowledge you have about the gospel, it will not be real. It will not. Depth in the gospel, fullness of the Spirit, inseparable. Jesus' words, John 6, 63, the words I have spoken to you, they are full of the Spirit and life. The words Fullness of the Spirit. Words, fullness of the Spirit. The gospel, fullness of the Spirit. The Bible says they're inseparable. Don't you dare separate it. Jonathan Edwards, I'm going to end with this. Compare the Spirit's illumination of the gospel. Jonathan Edwards described that Spirit's illumination of the gospel to non-Christians and Christians, like tasting honey someone who had never tasted sweetness. My prayer for this entire sermon series has been that for some of us who've heard the gospel all of our lives would experience through the Holy Spirit what it's like to hear. 